Hey everyone, thanks for listening to SwiftCast. If you're a fan of Taylor, go ahead and hit the subscribe button on iTunes or your podcast app, and it will automatically download our episodes for you each week. We have a lot of exciting episodes and guests as Reputation rolls out, so you'll only be doing yourself a favor by subscribing. Also, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Tumblr, at SwiftCast13, or you can find all of our episodes and social media at our website, SwiftCast13.com. Enjoy the show! everyone, welcome to episode 225 of SwiftCast. This is Steph. And Ashley. And we have a great episode for you today. A few weeks ago on episode 217, we did a fantastic interview with Rolling Stone's Brittany Spanos. And she mentioned that we should talk to Rob Sheffield, who we have been following on Rolling Stone for years because he's written a lot of articles about Taylor. So we reached out to him, and he was kind enough to join us for an episode of SwiftCast. So we are very excited to welcome him on the episode today. As I mentioned, Rob is a columnist for Rolling Stone. He has been writing about music, TV, and pop culture for Rolling Stone since 1997. And you likely heard about him in recent news because... He recently published an article called All 115 of Taylor Swift's Songs Ranked on Rolling Stone, and he went through every single song Taylor has ever written or been a part of, or even Christmas songs that she's covered, and he ranked every single one of them. He also was featured on the September 25th episode of Rolling Stone Music Now podcast, which was an episode where he and Britney Spanos joined host Brian Hyatt to break down Rob's list of all 115 of Taylor's songs. So you should definitely check that out. But for right now, we're very excited to welcome Rob on the show. Hey, Rob. Thanks for joining us. Hey, how you doing? Thanks for having me. Big fan of your podcast. Big fan. Wow. Well, thank you. That's really flattering. Honored to be on it. Well, we had so much fun talking to Brittany a few weeks ago, so we knew that we had to get the rest of the crew on eventually. (laughs) When we talked with Brittany a few weeks ago, she referred to you as the biggest Taylor fan at Rolling Stone. Wow. Well, uh, she gives me a run for the money. Let's put it that way. But uh, (laughs) but, uh, yeah, she's. uh, it's amazing someone like... You know, someone like Taylor, who is so uh, so arrived, you know, in, as such a fully formed artist from the beginning, and just you know, just kept doing something different every single album. It's really kind of astounding how how few other people have careers that are anything like hers. Yeah, actually, that reminds me of a quote from your article on 1989, which I really liked, and I wanted to ask you about your last few sentences of your review say 1989 sounds exactly like Taylor Swift even when it sounds nothing like she's ever tried before and yes she takes it to extremes are you surprised this is Taylor Swift remember extremes are where she starts out and I I just thought this was really interesting because I think I want to know what you think now now that we're We've had Look What You Made Me Do and Ready For It, and we have had a peak of the Reputation album art. And, you know, what do you think now about her taking things to extremes? Well, you know, that's what she does. It's it's funny when she tries to do things in, in sort of like modest doses. It's kind of funny even like when you think about 1989 as a record that tries to be very, you know, short and concise and to the point, you know, the songs are all really short. It's not like Speak Now where basically, you know, everybody was like, you do you, you know, if you want to do all these six minute songs that completely change the subject and get completely convoluted, you know, you go for that. Um, Nineteen eighty nine. she's clearly trying to make an album where the songs are really short and to the point, and yet even then they're so like absolutely excessive and extravagant. It's, it's kind of an amazing thing. 
Even when she tries to tone it down a notch, she cannot tone it down a notch at all. <laughs> That's maybe the only thing that she just flat out cannot do is tone it down a notch. God bless her for that. And I think that especially since she took the extra year to make this album, she has, I, I feel like, even that much more just like pent-up creative energy that's just bursting out of her or something. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, as as we should have learned from her years ago, but for some reason we keep having to, to relearn over and over again, uh, there's no way to predict what she's going to do because she does something different every single time. I mean, it, it's weird, but every single time she does an album, I go into it, and, and what I'm thinking is, gosh, I sure hope she makes the exact same album she made last time. <laughs> and every single time I come away thinking, oh, I'm glad she's not listening to idiots like me. <laughs> because she she does something that's completely different. You know, I, I mean, it's really kind of crazy when you think of, you know, what a perfect album speak now is and how, you know, clearly any anybody giving her advice, like business advice, should have been saying, well, for your next album, just make Speak Now again. And then she, she makes Red, which is completely different. And then after Red, which seems like an album that she could have kept making and remaking for the next 20 years, she, she does something completely different. So is Speak Now your favorite album? Uh, no. Well, it's it's awful hard to choose. Uh, <laughs> Red is, is probably the personal favorite. And then 1989, a really close second. And, and Speak Now, a really close third. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, but I guess what's amazing to me is that every single time, you know, it's, it's kind of like the way Prince used to make an album, you know, that it, it, it used to be so much fun waiting for Prince to make an album. And, and, you know, he, he put out something new every year and, you know, he was always doing something new, even when people were catching up with what he was doing four years ago. So, you know, in, in the summer of 1984, everybody on the radio is trying to copy 1989, which was, you know, Prince's 1982 album, and, and and Prince is already, yeah, I left that behind. I'm already doing Purple Rain now. And then the next year, everybody's trying to remake Purple Rain, and he's already doing Around the World in a Day. And, and he just goes on, you know, every album he made in the 80s was completely different from what he'd done last year. And that was, you know, that's why he was Prince. And, and Madonna, like, some of these people, they just, you know, they thrive on challenging themselves every single time, even when everybody would be totally happy with them doing the same old thing over again. That would totally be good enough. It just wouldn't be good enough for them. Yeah, that's such a good point. I think so many artists on the radio today just keep doing the same thing over and over again. But Taylor has really evolved so much over the past 11 years. And it seems like she's never competing with what other people are doing. She's always competing with herself. Uh, Absolutely. What a brilliant way to put it. Yeah, she's She's long past the point where she's competing with anybody, and now she's, and and she, and even though she knows for a fact everybody would be totally happy if she, you know, took the easy way and just made the same album she made last time, nobody would be complaining if she had made, you know, Red Two, or you know, or Speak Now Three, or or even Fearless Four, you know, like she could just keep doing that stuff forever, and it's just it's not enough for her. So, what were your initial impressions when you heard? Look what you made me do. Well, that's, I mean, I've learned that, that, you know, the first song that she debuts from an album is usually not very representative of the album. So uh, I was prepared not to get, you know, too carried away by it either way, because, you know, you remember when Shake It Off came out and everybody thought, is, is she going to be rapping on this album? Is it going to be, you know, is, and it turned out Shake It Off was the only song that sounded like Shake It Off. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and, it's not like she sets out to mislead people with, you know, the first song she previews from an album, but it's, you know, it's, it's generally, she's not going to give her secrets away at that point. That's just not how she operates. So I wasn't, well, I, 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 I don't really like, uh, look what you made me do. It's, you know, it's, it's something that I might come to like it better when the album comes out as, as I came to like shake it off better when the album came out. But, uh, it's, you know, it's something that, that, it's it's not you know I I didn't know what to think when when look what you made me do came out and I, I thought yeah I just want to see what she does next time it's grown on me a bit but you know I, it's it's a little underwhelming for me by her standard yeah and for me I was glad that she then released ready for it so quickly afterwards so that we could kind of get confirmation that the album was going to have all kinds of different sounds on it. Absolutely. And I loved that that was so different and, you know, and that she did it a week later 
and uh, it, it's funny because when I was doing the list for uh, for Rolling Stone, we you know uh, we wanted to rank every song that you know that that she'd ever done and just account for her entire her entire output. And it was funny that I kept thinking while I was writing it, I really hope she doesn't release another song this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> yes. The girl moves fast, you know? We completely understand. It seems like every time we record an episode, the next day she does something. Yeah, we we just did one on all of the behind-the-scenes videos she's been releasing, and immediately after we recorded it, a new one was posted. <laughs> <laughs> I love those. The one with the mouse is really kind of hardcore. <laughs> it is. Creeps me out a bit. It's like, it's, it's, she's talking to me. Yeah. Amazing. Always, always, like I said, always doing something different. And we are talking about how we feel like her releasing those videos is sort of been the way that she's been communicating directly with fans to let us know that she's still here. The old Taylor is still here. We might not be seeing her doing traditional interviews, but she wants us to know that, you know, she's still her. Yeah, absolutely. And that, you know, that she has, you know, it's, it's, it's a interesting pivot point for her to, to realize that, you know, that the image, you know, I mean, people respond so much to the image. I mean, and this is something that, you know, comes up a lot when I write about her. And, and when you talk about her, the people get so distracted by the image that they, uh, some, I feel like she's really underrated as a musician just because, you know, people react so strongly to uh, to the image and the personality. And I, I feel like, I, I, I do feel like she doesn't get enough credit for her achievements as a, as a singer and songwriter and record maker and, uh, and just, you know, all around pop visionary. I think like strictly on the musical level, I think that's something that, you know, that people get easily distracted from, understandably, but it's amazing that the musical achievement, in a way, we're still catching up with that. Right, and so maybe that's what she's trying to correct by just not having any of those media distractions. That's what I'm thinking. Uh, do, do you like uh, Ready For It? I do. I loved it from the first listen. It didn't take time to grow on me. Like, look what you made me do took a little bit of time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I looked ready for it right away. And I was kind of relieved because I'd spent a week saying, like, really? That's it? You know, like, look what you made me do? And so I, as soon as I heard it, I was, I was relieved and overjoyed. And I was like, all right, this sounds like a Taylor song. And I think the fact that it was the first song on the album, we know it's track one, just creates a lot of excitement too because it sets the tone for the album and probably for the tour yeah uh what do you have a favorite album oh gosh <laughs> i think we all we always dread that question sorry loaded question it's like i feel like time always will go by and then i'll realize it's been so long since i've listened to all of the albums in their entirety I just recently was listening to Red, the deluxe version, all the way through. It really might be my favorite. Of course, that's subject to change, but I just have such a deep love for that album. Yeah, uh, that one, it, to me, yeah. It, 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 and, and it's funny how it, it's got so many great songs on it that uh, <laughs> that you can like listen to it and go, wow, I completely forgot this song was even on the album. Like, you know... It, you still find new surprises in it, you know, in, we've all been listening to it for five years at this point. It's funny when I did my list and uh, one, of, one of my friends who's, you know, who's, who's uh, also a big fan of her music and, and she, she was outraged that, uh, that Treacherous was way down at 50. And, and he was like, Treacherous, how could you not have Treacherous in the top five? And I was like, oh my God, you know, I could have, you know, like, like 80 songs in the top five. Uh, but it was, you know, it was funny that, you know, Treacherous, yeah, it was like, you know, what, what a brilliant song Treacherous is. And yet, you know, it's probably not even like in my top 10 songs on, on, on Reds. There are just so many great songs on this, that record. That's so true. And we've been talking on our episodes about your list of the 115 songs. And you actually did a podcast on your list with the Rolling Stone Now podcast. Yes, the great Britney Spanos. Uh, your your friend and admirer and uh, and the great Brian Hyatt who, who does that podcast it's uh, so great. Did you come in there to that episode feeling like you had to be very defensive? <laughs> oh goodness, no, not at all, uh, not at all. We are we are all uh, 
we're all fans. Brian did uh, did uh, the first uh, Rolling Stone cover story uh, with her, and uh, it was notable because uh, she got in two car accidents while Brian was in the car during the course yeah. of, of the interview. <laughs> yes, we all remember that. Yeah, I was just rereading that article the other day. That was a great interview. And that's one of the things that I think I'll definitely miss. Rolling Stone's interviews with Taylor are always so great and insightful. And I'm disappointed that I guess we won't get that with reputation. Well, um, the thing is, like, you know, you have to, un- well, I mean, I I think from my perspective, like, I understand that, you know, for her, she sees how whatever she says, you know, by a certain element in the audience will get, uh, exaggerated to the point where it overshadows the music and you know her seriousness as a musician which sorry, I keep coming back <laughs> to, to harp on that point but I, it, it's something that is so easily overlooked by people who are uh, dismissive of her and that's something that I certainly can understand her frustration with that process uh, when you look at the you know the things about her that, that people build up or or ignore I, I mean it's it's funny we're, we're you know we were talking a few minutes ago about first impressions of, of 1989. And I remember listening to that album for the very first time and the first song, Welcome to New York. And uh, actually listening to it at her apartment in Tribeca on her couch because it was literally the only room in New York City that she knew for sure wouldn't be bugged. <laughs> that there wouldn't be any secret microphones. So, like, I actually had to go and, like, sit on her couch to listen to the album. And even then, I had to listen to it on headphones because they're afraid if they played it through the air that somebody might be hiding on the roof with a secret microphone <laughs> so uh to, to to make sure it wasn't leaking so i I'm, so i'm sitting there and i'm listening to it for the first time and i'm listening to welcome to new york and uh that line really jumps out in the middle where she says you know you can walk who you want boys and boys and girls and girls and that was really kind of mind-blowing for me and i thought wow she she really went there you know and i thought people are going to talk about this line and as it turned out, like the media didn't talk about that line at all. Like, people completely ignored that line because they were getting too agitated over over the question of whether she was really a New Yorker or not, which is a fairly bogus question. And it must be so, uh, you know, exasperating for you know a songwriter like her to you know to sort of have a bombshell like that as you know your album opening song, and all people want to talk about is you know like whether you are actually a New Yorker or not. So I can see I can see her frustration. It certainly makes sense. That's such a great point. And yeah, not only that, but even from the first Rolling Stone article, as soon as you mentioned that there was bad blood and then there was a song called Style, it was like that was all we were hearing about over and over were these recycled media rumors. <laughs> well, you call the song Style. <laughs> She obviously knew what that would result in, but, you know, I think it, it does kind of take away from the music, unfortunately. Well, I mean, I mean, it's funny because that's a special case because her Harry Styles songs are really good and his songs about her are really good. And it's really kind of weird that, like, you know, the songs they write about each other are so consistently good. I can't think of any analog in pop history to it where, you know, where these two artists of that stature are, you know, going back to, like, who knows, even, like, you know, how long they dated or anything like that. Or like, and of course all these songs are just, you know, allegedly about, about the other one. But when I was listening to the Harry Styles album for the first time and I heard him sing about, you know, like, you know, why can't it, we just be us and, you know, in the refrigerator light. And I was like, Oh my God, you went there. <laughs> <laughs> you went to the refrigerator light. I can't believe you did that. Look what you made Harry do. <laughs> and that they, you know, that they inspire each other from afar that way. Is, I mean, really kind of, you know, mind blowing. Even even I was listening to the last One Direction album, and that was another one where I was, you know, listening to it in the record company offices and had to keep a real straight face because you don't want to show any reaction. I get to Olivia, and I'm like, seriously, Harry wrote a song like named after her cat. Like, <laughs> like, did they not think people would notice this kind of thing? But it's it's you know, it's kind of a beautiful thing. It's you know, it's it's that kind of inspiration that they bring out in each other. And I feel like what you said about Welcome to New York, how there was that bombshell of a line, that was a really bold move for her to make at that time. I can't even imagine how many bombshells we might be in store for on the 13 songs we haven't yet heard from Reputation. Yeah, um, and uh, and it's funny that the, the two songs that she has previewed being so completely uh, far apart emotionally and sonically, 
I mean, they just do not sound like two songs from the same album, do they? No. It's almost like she had to release them both in tandem to say, uh, you know, whatever kind of expectation you bring into this is going to be skewered. And and a lot of people, you know, they, they do try to develop preconceptions about what she does. And, you know, she's just not that kind of artist. You know, like we talked about Bowie and Prince and, and, and the Beatles. She's someone who's just, you know, going to on purpose do something different than, than what she did last time. And it's, you know, I remember hearing Speak Now for the first time and thinking, this is really strange. I was hoping she was just going to make, you know, another Fearless all over again. And, you know, what's with all these, like, really, like, you know, long, ambitious, complex songs. And, you know, and obviously at this point, nobody at the record company has any clout to say, hey, maybe this song doesn't need to go on for six minutes. Maybe you could trim this one down to the point where we could play it on the radio. And, you know, nobody has the clout to tell her that anymore. And it's really thrilling that, you know, Speak Now, I mean, all her albums are so different. I feel like Speak Now is one that gets kind of lost in the shuffle a lot. That's such a, uh, such a huge breakthrough for her. And, uh, you know, and, at the time, I, I thought, well, you know, this is as far as she'll go. This is this is the best album she could ever make. And, you know, she always proved me wrong with that. She really does. With each album, I think she can never top this. And then she always does. It always amazes me. What, what are your hopes for, for Reputation? Well, I do hope that she tops herself again. We We definitely want her to surpass the first week sales of 1989. I know that's going to be really difficult to do, though. And other than that, I'm just hoping to hear her continue to evolve. Like we've talked about, just every album is so different. And she's just one of the few artists out there who isn't doing the same thing over and over again. Yeah, and I sort of feel like the first two songs, we've gotten a Jack Antonoff song, we've gotten a Max Martin song. Maybe it's almost a trick to make us think she's just working with the same people. And then we're going to find out she's worked with all kinds of other producers and the album will be sort of all over the place sonically. Yeah. But it's funny that the, the, um, the songs, they sound, they do sound like really different from other songs she's done with those producers though, right? They definitely do. Yeah. That's what is so impressive about Jack and Max Martin and Johan Schelbach. They work with so many different artists, but their work always sounds different. Yeah. It's really amazing. And I think just, you know, Taylor had a lot of quotes about how she felt like Red didn't win the Grammy because it wasn't sonically cohesive. And so she really made that the focus of 1989. But I'm hoping maybe that having gotten that to win album of the year, she feels a little less pressure that it doesn't have to be sonically cohesive. It can be any combination of sounds that she wants. And I think Ed Sheeran said something recently that kind of confirmed that. Yeah, I, I mean... It's always, it's interesting to see how artists measure success. I mean, I, personally, I, I don't know about you. I have, a, I have a hard time, like, really believing that she, like, really in her heart of hearts cares about awards and stuff. And I, I don't really even think she cares about sales. She cares about, you know, that, that the sort of impact that she has uh, on the audience, on, on potential audiences, on the audiences that she brings with her. But, you know, if she wanted to win awards and have sales, you know, she would, if there's a clearly marked path that she would have gone and that she has consistently not gone that path, it's, you know, it seems like she is just really motivated by, you know, seeing what is around the next bend, what the next adventure is, uh, and, and, you know, wanting to try something new. I mean, nobody really remembers who wins Grammys for anything, let alone album of the year. You know, nobody remembers something like that a week after the ceremony. But, you know, but the songs, the songs are what, what stay with us. And it's funny that for Red, an album, it, it's funny because I think of Red as a perfect album with like no weak moments on it. And then when I actually do it all the way through, I'm like, I always forget about the Snow Patrol God duet. <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. I, I completely forget that song exists. Yeah, when I was listening to it for the first time in a while, the whole album, I felt like I was almost hearing that song for the first time. Yes, it was funny when, you know, and when I was making the list and, and I was like, it's really kind of funny that like, I you know, I always forget about this, like the one song on Red that, you know, that, that I do not absolutely love and like, holy cow, is, is that a turkey? But that's, that's the, like, you know, the price of being a, you know, an artist who's always changing and innovating, you know, Prince, Prince 
Prince made a lot of crummy songs in the 80s, and it was because he was always trying something new. You know, if he wanted to make consistently good and unsurprising records, he would have just kept making 1989 or Purple Rain over and over again. But, you know, uh, side two of Around the World in a Day is pretty terrible. But, you know, he had to do that because that was an experiment he wanted to try. Stay tuned for more of our interview with Rob Sheffield after this. So when you made this list, did you go back and listen to every song again? Or some of them, when I was reading the list, I, like you said, forgot some of these songs even existed. So did you have to compile a list first? Yeah, well, I I, I, I listened to them all again many times. Honestly, most of them I'm listening to all the time anyway. But it, and also it's funny because, you know, it's an artist who has, you know, 115 songs. And really, like, once you get up to, you know, the 80s, you're already, like, it's already great song after great song. It's funny that, like, you get to the point on the list, you know, up to, like, number 80 or so, and every song seems like it should be ranked a little higher, you know? But there are too many other great songs blocking the way. Um, and uh, so it's it, it was funny to go back in the songs that, you know, that I don't think about or don't remember. Like, that Voice Like Girls duet, boy, I completely forgot that ever happened. <laughs> Isn't that an interesting story? You go back and listen to it, and it's like, dude, what were you thinking? Like, Taylor Swift offers to sing on your song, and you're like, hey, you know what, Taylor? We're good for the first verse. You could just, like, sit out the first verse, and then maybe come in and sing two lines on the second verse. <laughs> and we got it from there. <laughs> like, did nobody in that band think, like, hey, this is actually kind of an opportunity. This is, like, kind of a creative and, and musical opportunity for us. Maybe we should actually let her sing on the song. <laughs> what a completely bizarre song that is yeah i honestly forgot that song existed yeah when i saw your list and realized there were 115 songs i was thinking really there are that many songs but but there are yes uh the one the, the one that turned out to be you know it's funny because like something like that you don't know what's going to be controversial it's the one that you know that you like that all your friends hate and the one that you hate that all your friends like turns out a, a bunch of my friends seem to be mad at me about out of the woods uh, which is a song that, you know, to me, it's, you know, it's a song without a chorus, you know, it's promising, but it could have used a chorus. But, um, so I've been finding out in the past couple of weeks, how many of my friends love that song to have, have an issue or two with, with, <laughs> that's interesting because I was just listening to a Jack Antonoff interview and they asked him of all his work, what song or songs does he think will live on the longest? And that was one of the ones that he thinks will. Wow. I personally disagree, but I mean, I guess he would know. <laughs> well, it's funny because like a song without a chorus, that's usually not a corner that she cuts. Like, it's really weird to think like, yeah, this would be a really good Taylor Swift song if it had a chorus. I mean, that's almost like saying, you know, this would be a really good figure skater if they were wearing skates, you know? <laughs> like, it's just really weird to hear a Taylor Swift song where it's like, yeah, this is getting there, but it really could use a, a chorus. Usually choruses... You know, she has no problem coming up with those. It was definitely, I remember at first listen, much more repetitive than what I was expecting. Yeah, compared, just compared to songs that, you know, that stand out so much, uh, you know, like All You Had to Do Was Stay is a song that to me, like, it's very similar in, in sonically and structurally to Out of the Woods. But, you know, that song has a great chorus. And, and to me, uh, you know, me personally, I, I'd be like, I'm surprised that that wasn't a single instead of, uh, instead of Out of the Woods. But, you know... Like, it's the kind of body of work where there's, you know, there's so many great songs that, you know, you, you get on the list to, you know, like a song like Breathe, which I think is like way down on the list, like, you know, like 78 or 77 or something like that. And like for a lot of artists, that would be their best song. That would be, you know, I mean, Breathe is a great song. It's just that, you know, there are so many great songs by this artist that, you know, gets lost in the shuffle a bit that, you know, every fan would compile a different list. What, what would your number ones be? You know, I completely agree with you. You selected all too well. And and I think a lot of our listeners would also agree with that. Yeah. I mean, if I, thought, if I think about it, the question too hard, I'll start to confuse myself. But <laughs> that is one song that I just know I could never, ever live without. God, what a great song. It, it's a masterpiece. Absolutely. And it's really the only song of hers that was not a single that has still taken on such a life of its own. Yeah, it's weird to think that it's not a single because it's such a high-profile song. Remember when she did it on the Grammys? 
what an astounding moment that was. And it's just her, like, at the piano and, like, such a, like, amazing, intense, like, blazing, confessional, like, like hardcore, absolutely, you know, emotionally locked-in performance. And uh, with, you know, her great, like, little, like, you know, hair-wagging solo in the middle. <laughs> uh, just, just a song that, you know, just, just sort of, you know, just takes over a room when, when you listen to it. Yeah, and I think we all felt very lucky that she chose to finally play it again at her show in Houston for the Super Bowl. But to me, it seems like she doesn't quite feel it as much as she used to. So I'm glad that it was part of the Red Tour and that we got that amazing Grammys performance. And I like seeing her perform it now, but it was just such an iconic moment, I think, for those years when we were in the Red Era. Yeah. It seems like her approach to touring, and it seems like you know, I'm, I'm, I would predict it's always going to be this way. That she's that she's like Madonna that way. Madonna has never done a greatest hits tour. When Madonna does a tour, she does the new songs, and you know, and of course there are always going to be people coming away saying like, ah, oh, you know, like she didn't do Vogue, or you know, she didn't do Causing a Commotion, or you know, whatever your favorite Madonna song. She's going to do a few of those to spice it up, but you know, her. Her aesthetic principle is not looking back. She is there to do the new songs, whether they're her best songs or not. And I kind of feel like, and I definitely felt this on the Red Tour, I couldn't believe all the great songs from Speak Now that she was not doing on the Red Tour. But, you know, I was like, this is absolutely what she should be doing is, you know, like focusing on these songs and presenting these songs and, you know, not going back. So, I mean, it was kind of like astounding to see the Red Tour and it's like, oh, uh, she's not singing it enchanted anymore she's not singing long live like imagine like writing those songs and leaving them out of your set like if you or i were songwriters and we wrote a song like enchanted or long live we'd be like yep this is the one i'm going to be closing my my show with (laughs) i don't even need to write any more great songs i can just write filler you know because it doesn't even matter people will just be like waiting to get their phones and, and lighters out for long live and like she dropped it from the next tour, you know, because she was she's excited about the new songs, and that's an aspect of her game that is, is very conspicuously Madonna-ish, and you know, I totally approve. See, that's so interesting. I don't know that we've ever looked at it exactly that way before, because when you think about just the time limit of a show, I think we would all be disappointed if she wasn't doing every song from the new album. But then, of course, we also still want the old ones, so I think we want like a four-hour-long show. <laughs> <laughs> We can't really choose. Yeah, and you know, like every, like an artist gets to a point where they have too many great songs to fit into a show, and you know, and that's the point where they have to make the decision that Madonna made. She's, you know, she's like, I'm not going to go out there and you know sing, you know, uh, La Isla Bonita and Angel and dress you up and all those early hits. She's like, you know, I have to make the tough decision of what I keep and what I lose, and I'm going to go with the new songs every time. And that's something that David Bowie did. David Bowie never did a greatest hits tour, and, and you know, until the '90s when he set out to do a greatest hits tour, and, and you know, it's like famously kind of a flop because you know his heart wasn't in it. David Bowie's not a greatest hits kind of guy. David Bowie is like, here's what I'm doing now, and this is you know what I'm excited about now, and I'm not going to pretend to you know to to revive you know, what I did three or four years ago at the expense of what I'm doing now. And that's something that, I mean, it was very clear on the Red Tour. It was very shocking on the Red Tour. I couldn't believe all the old songs she was leaving out. Um, and, you know, that she gets to the 1989 tour and she's leaving out so many songs from Red. But that's, you know, I, that's clearly the, what her template for touring is going to be. She, she's never going to do a greatest hits tour. She's going to be, you know, I, I've got two hours or three hours. You know, she, she can go as long as she wants. And I'm going to focus on the new songs because that's where my heart is right now. So if you had to predict right now which old songs she will include on the Reputation Tour, which ones would you go with? Well, uh, I'd be very biased by, by the ones that I love. Uh, you know, like I said, I'm still shocked that, you know, that, that Enchanted and All Too Well are not songs that, you know, I mean, those are songs. I have, I have to make a karaoke confession. I'm, I am banned from karaoke and enchanted among my circle of friends. <laughs> I over-emote that song a tiny bit. <laughs> and, uh, and my, my karaoke friends just had to say, you know, you just have to, you just have to knock it off with enchanted. Like you can't sing that song. And, and, you know, it's, it's, it gets a little out of control. Um, but, uh, so 
what old song she will do. I mean, she's she's often said in interviews that love story is a song that she will always do every tour. Mm-hmm. I you know I don't I don't necessarily know if that's one she needs to keep doing. <laughs> like Madonna, you know, like it's funny that for Madonna that song is like a virgin. She does that every tour. That's the old one. You know, she does not like to do a tour full of the old hits. But that's one that she will do every tour. And she, she almost always does Borderline on the tour. I can't think of any Madonna tours where she didn't do Borderline. But she, you know, there's some songs that she, you know, will acknowledge as, you know, just the cornerstone, just for continuity, that, that these ones she will go back to. And I wonder if it will be a love story for her. Um, but I wonder if she would, you know, go back to, uh, you know, go back to Fearless or Long Live or All Too Well as, as you know, regular staples. Partly because, you know, her songs, you know, a, a lot of them sound like the last song in the set, like a lot of the ones that we're talking about. Like, you kind of can't do Long Live and then do All Too Well because those are both, you know, fireworks exploding in the sky, mega climax blockbuster songs. You can't do three or four of those in a row. Mm-hmm. You know, I saw Paul McCartney a couple of weeks ago. It was such a brilliantly paced show because, you know, Paul McCartney has so many mega songs that he's going to do and he has to spread them out. So it was really funny that he did Maybe I'm Amazed really early in the show. And I was like, wow, because that's a hard song to sing. But, you know, he's going to blow out his voice. His voice is going to take a couple songs to recover from Maybe I'm Amazed. But as he kept going, I said, yeah, you know, he has to do it that way because he can't do, like, you know, Maybe I'm Amazed and then Let It Be and then Hey Jude. You know, <laughs> like he, he has to, you know, he has to space these songs out through the show. And, and I kind of feel like that's, you know, that's going to be a challenge for her with the tour as well. But, uh you know, they'll, they'll certainly be surprised. It was it was such a surprise and a delight that you know that New Romantics was such a huge part of the 1989 tour, and so early in the set too. Yeah, I I agree with that, and I think people were surprised it was so early on. Yes, and that you put it so early on, and and you know, in, in such a like fantastic lavish production of it was, you know, in a way it was her like warning you like you know whatever you think this tour is going to be, it's going to be you know different from your expectations because here I am, it's like you know what was it, like the fourth song of the set or something, the third maybe? And and, and and she's like, here's a song that's not even on the album. <laughs> yeah, I'm hoping for either like some mashups or like new creative ways for us to maybe get little glimpses of more of the old songs because Reputation has 15 songs on it. So that's probably going to take up most of the show, but she always seems to find a way. Yeah, well, and and, and part of, you know, Something that's become a delight in her tours is, is her drastic, you know, new reimaginations of, you know, familiar songs. Like, what did you think of her sort of hair metal, We Are Never Ever Getting Back Together on, on the last tour? Oh, we all love that. All of our hosts, I think, is it's a favorite. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. I loved that. That was so great. And that was so, like, and she was so into the hair metal aspect of it. I was like, she is actually turning it to Slash. <laughs> And it was so great and so daring and, you know, and, and sorry to keep comparing to Madonna. I'm a pretty big Madonna fan. Madonna said something like, she, you know, she does like a virgin on every tour. She does borderline on every tour, but she does totally different arrangements of them. Um, remember tour a couple of years ago where she did, you know, like a virgin is just the piano ballad. And of course there was, you know, the famous blonde ambition version that, you know, made it like sort of like Indian sitar music and, uh, you know, she, she's going to do this song on every tour, but she's going to do something new with it in every every tour. Right. Even if you looked at Trouble and Love Story, she made them completely different. Yeah, absolutely. I loved what she did with Trouble. And when we were waiting all this time with no information about what this album would be, I think the We Are Never arrangement kept coming up over and over again as a sound that fans would really love to see her explore. And I still think it's possible that we could have some songs with that rock sound. I'm not ruling it out. Well, uh, I'm I'm biased because I would love the full-on Taylor rock album. Right. And, and Brittany has been, like, waving the flag for the Taylor rock album for, for a long time. Um, I I would be really into that. It's funny that, like, when uh, Taylor posted that Spotify playlist a few days ago, and... I was like, wow, there's a lot of like really like weepy, slow. Like oh, that's exactly what I said. I was like, should we be concerned? <laughs> yeah, yes. I was. I was like, and it's funny because they sounded nothing like the two songs from Reputation. Like it was funny that it was like a whole album of like, uh, I'm just going to you know like 
flop on the couch with, you know, a pack of tissues and, you know, and, and sob and, you know, drink a smoothie and, 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 and weep to these like, you know, mellow, I was, I was like, this is really, and, and, and part of me, I was like, this is clearly a trick of hers, you know, because, uh, you know, neither of the songs from Reputation that she's really sent anything like this, um, I, I would have been into a more rockin' playlist, but, you know, maybe this isn't going to be the time she makes the Taylor Rock album. So you do think her playlist will be somewhat representative of other songs on Reputation? I don't know. I, I, I You know, I hope not. She's really good at those, like, weepy ballads. I mean, you know from my list how much I love those, you know, like, sad, weepy ballads she does. Mm-hmm. I, I think I'm the biggest fan I know of the song Sad, Beautiful, Tragic, which... <laughs> People often roll their eyes at that song. I'm like, no, it is great. It's weird. That's one she she's only done live once. And I'm like, that beautiful tragic is a truly great song. Um, and I love that it has, you know, sad and tragic in the same song title. <laughs> right. Literally any other songwriter in the world would have had to make the tough decision. Is it sad or is it tragic? It's a little <laughs> redundant to say it's sad and tragic. Taylor's like, nope, sad and tragic. And I'll see your sad and tragic and raise you a beautiful. Like that's part of that's part of her the emotional excess that she brings to, to her songwriting. So I you know, that's the song I love. Um and you know, last case, songs like that. I love when she does songs like that. Uh, a whole album of them, you know, well, you know, if she wants to do that, I'll be listening. Yeah, I'm just I just don't like I said earlier, I think we're in for a lot of surprises still with this album. Just I don't think the sound of the playlist really reflects the image that we've seen so far. No. And and in the playlist, I mean, it seems to take a lot of people by surprise. I knew like barely half the songs on that playlist. It was like really funny that it was very focused on new stuff, which was intriguing because, you know, it wasn't, you know, oh, this is, you know, James Taylor and, you know, and, and you know, Van Morrison and Joni Mitchell and, you know, like, stuff I've been listening to on my list, stuff I've talked about and artists that I've brought on stage to sing with me. Like it wasn't, you know, there was nothing like that. It was all artists her age or younger. It was really focused on new artists, new stuff. It it was very like polemical and sort of in your face that way. It was like, no, you think that there's going to be like, you know, a couple songs here that, you know, that will be, you know, classics or oldies or, you know, just, very famous songs. She she went for very non-famous songs, and even like the super famous artists. You know, it's like funny that like she had a song from Selena Gomez's Revival, which is an album where like you know it's practically greatest hits album. Like almost every song on that album is famous except the one she chose, and you know that she was clearly going for deep cuts by you know artists that are not not canonical and not predictable. Definitely, yeah. I hadn't heard of a lot of them. And even for like the songs that she chose from Ed Sheeran's album and Haim's album, they weren't the singles. They weren't the ones that anyone who's not a hardcore fan of those people have probably heard. Totally, totally, totally. And oh my gosh, and like, and, and even artists that I know on the list, I mean, it was like really funny. I mean, I thought it was like kind of great that she had a Nile song and that it was, you know, it was, it was very, it was very on brand for this playlist. Like very like you know it's a very uh, sad ballady kind of playlist. Well, it's interesting to me that we're without all of this traditional press, but she continues to do things to remind people she's still around more subtly and to surprise us. So I'm just I feel like it's going to be a crazy next month and a half, and I just can't wait to see if we get any other songs and just see how things shape up because there's still so many unanswered questions. Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, it comes out November 10. Yeah, so you mentioned that for 1989, you got to listen to the album in her apartment. I'm guessing that was when she did the media event in her apartment. Oh, uh, no, that was, uh, I was, uh, that was before that. I was reviewing it for Rolling Stone. So uh, I went in a few weeks before it came out. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, it's weird. I guess that's the way I usually listen to her, her albums. It, it's I'm listening to them for Rolling Stone, so I'm going in before they come out. And the uh, the James Bond level of, of uh, security, <laughs> high-tech security, it's always super inspiring to see. Um, there's always some uh, like astoundingly 
you know, innovative precautions that are being taken. But, you know, like, again, like, with, you know, like having to listen to it on in her couch, I was like, well, this is a little weird that, you know, I'm going over to her apartment. But, but I was I was like, well, of course she knows for a fact that, you know, that this room isn't going to be, you know, isn't going to have anybody hiding under the couch with a microphone. And it's the only room in New York that she can say that about. It was a little weird sitting, you know, sitting on her couch and, and you know, and I'm, the TV is there and I'm like, oh, I wonder if this is, you know, like Lena Dunham's spot on the couch or, you know, like Selena's spot on the couch. Yeah, like, but it was, you know, that was, you know, that was the, the security detail and it worked, you know, like her, her records haven't leaked. But uh, Speak Now, I heard it was, it was at the record company offices and that's kind of, that was kind of an, uh, a sort of an embarrassing memory for me because uh, I had, uh, well, full disclosure, I cried an awful lot listening to that album the first time. It's a very emotionally overwhelming album, you know? It is. Um, and, it's, and especially, like, in the second half, it's like, yeah, you think you've had enough sad songs? Bam, 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 bam. I'm just going to drop half a dozen sad songs on your head. Uh, so by the time, you know, like, get to the end and long live, it's like, oh, please, God, let this be a happy song. <laughs> <laughs> One more last kiss, and they're going to have to carry me out of here in a stretcher. Funny because, like, <laughs> think of it in the record company office, uh, and... And I had, you know, and I had brought tissues, but, you know, I, I was honestly a little weepy listening to it. And I was like, wow, I did not bring enough tissues. And, uh, and so, it, you know, it was a little weird sort of, you know, bringing the CD, like, back to the desk and saying, like, yeah, yeah, thanks. No, I'm fine. I, you know, just have some kind of, you know, hay fever or something. But, you know, my, my face was all swollen up and blotchy. And so, like, I, I went to, uh, to a coffee shop afterwards to get some tea and, they did the thing where they ask you your name and then they write it on your coffee cup. And I didn't realize, and I walked back to the Rolling Stone offices to tell everybody how great this record was. And now it sounded nothing like how anybody thought it would. And I'm walking through the streets of New York with this coffee cup that has my name written on it. So, and, and I think, well, you know, I, at least I have some sort of anonymity, just, you know, just another person like walking through, through the street, you know, like, sobbing and sniffling because of all these like mega emotional songs he's just heard and then like i you know i realized oh my gosh i'm walking with a coffee cup with my name on it i look like <laughs> such an idiot right now <laughs> but you know the music you love it makes a fool of you right <laughs> oh yeah without a doubt so then do you have any idea whether you'll have an opportunity to hear reputation in advance uh i i i i don't know okay I kind of I couldn't say if I did, but oh, understandable. Uh, another funny thing about hearing 1989 in the catch, it's, it's just because there was you know there was they had gotten some pastries from from the Starbucks around the block, and it was funny that hearing blank space for the first time, and of course I thought she was thinking about Starbucks lovers. And I was like, <laughs> oh, I guess this is from the Starbucks she's singing about. Maybe she wrote this song in Starbucks. <laughs> It was definitely a source of confusion for a very, very long time for us. You know what? Maybe we're all right. And, and you know, and she's just wrong. But, you know, that's that's one of the things about the kind of artist she's... I, I just wrote a book about the Beatles. And, I, I, you know, I, I talk a, a bit about her in the book just because uh, something the Beatles sort of invented is the idea of, you know, dropping all these hints and, and mysteries and codes in their songs, you know, to, to sort of, you know, not just tease the audience, but sort of, you know, like engage the audience as, as a part of the creative process. And the Beatles, you know, so they have I Am the Walrus, and then, you know, they have another song a year later where John says, here's another clue for you all, the walrus is Paul. And that they, you know, enjoyed like planting planting Easter eggs like this for, you know, for the audience to participate in that, you know, Taylor Swift is just an example of a particularly brilliant artist who has taken that aspect that the Beatles did and, and like totally runs with it. Well, this has been so awesome. We can't thank you enough. And hopefully once the album is out, we can try and rank it in a list with you and kick out through all of that and just talk about all the different things that I'm sure we can't even begin to predict. We can definitely expect an album review from you, right? Uh, yeah, even at this point, like we don't know, you know, like this is, this is the kind of thing where like, you know, how she's presenting the music and how she's rolling it out is, you know, She's determined to be holding all the cards and, you know, playing them very close to the vest. And, you know, that's part of, you know, the, the premise of this album is that, you know, it's not like, you know, it's 1989, there were like, you know, like listening parties, you know, with, with fans and everything. And she was like, you know, very like, you know, 
presenting the music to people like that, like taking it to them herself. This time she's she's really determined to be as secretive and mysterious about it as she can. So even something like, you know, like the playlist where she just suddenly like says, oh, here's 70 songs I like. And some of these might be clues to how the album sounds, but, you know, some of them clearly won't be. And that's, you know, that's part of like how she's presenting this album. It's part of what makes it different from her other ones. Do you want to remind everyone where they can find you on social media so they can keep up with everything? Uh, yes, indeed. Um, my name is Rob Sheffield. I write for Rolling Stone magazine. I, I just wrote the book Dreaming the Beatles. I've written a few other books about music, and I'm at uh, robsheffield.com. And on social media, I'm Rob Sheff on Twitter and Robbie Chef on Instagram because somebody took Rob Chef before I got to it. <laughs> <laughs> so annoying. Yes, uh, but. Uh, Thank you. Uh, what, a, what a joy to talk to you. And thank you for doing this podcast. I, I, I love it. And I'm a, I'm a big fan. So it's a, a real treat for me to be on it with you. Thank you so much. Well, thank you so much for listening and, and for joining us. Let's talk again after we can talk about reputation. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Looking forward to it. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Rob. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank right. you. Well, we hope you enjoyed the interview with Rob Sheffield as much as we enjoyed participating in it. He is so great, and whether or not he gets to hear Reputation early, even if we have to wait until after it's out for his review, I know it's going to be amazing. Yes, I can't wait to read anything he writes about Reputation, because his work is just always so concise, and he knows everything you could possibly know about Taylor. So I'm really looking forward to reading anything he writes and hopefully talking to him again. I I really hope that we can have him again after Reputation is released. Absolutely. I have so many things that now that we just got done, I should have asked him. I feel like I could have talked to him all night. Oh, absolutely. And and I was just so appreciative of how much time he spent talking with us. So we hope to be able to talk to him again soon. And as we've been saying the past few weeks, we're hoping that by the time we record our next episode that we will have more content from Taylor whether it's possibly a new song or something else, the next month feels like it's going to go by really, really slowly. It definitely does feel like that. But because we recorded our interview with Rob on October 1st, we can now officially say that Reputation will be released next month. That is crazy. It feels like just a second ago that we were still in August and it was Eclipse Day and everything was just starting. That's true. So November 10th feels like a really long time off, but if you think of it like that, maybe it will go quickly. Either way, we will be bringing you all the latest news and updates as quickly as possible. So stay tuned for more episodes from us, and we will see you soon. For episode 225, this has been Steph and Ashley. Thank you. See you soon.